Well, good morning. I am Karen Busby, one of the teaching pastors on staff, and I'm so excited to be with you here this morning as we kick off this new series, Christ in the Psalms. And I am a big fan of that bumper video, because if you know me, you know that I love water. I love water. So I watched that for the first time early this morning, and I was just so excited that we get to look at that every Sunday for the summer. It's going to be a beautiful summer. So we are going to spend the whole summer on this series because the book of Psalms contains some of the most loved passages in the Bible. Over several centuries, approximately 1400s BC from the time of Moses through the 500s BC, the time of the Jews' Babylonian exile, God led various individuals to compose emotionally charged poems, nearly half of which were written by King David. The ancient Jewish songbook showcases prayers, praise, and even complaints to God. There are 150 psalms, and they are divided into eight different types. And that was something that was new uh, learning for me this spring when I heard that. Many of the psalms express agony on the writer's part, but nearly every psalm returns to the theme of praise to God. This is characterized in the way the book of Psalms ends in Psalm 150, verse 6. And it says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Although the Psalms were written hundreds of years before Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, we can still find him in the Psalms. So in our series, Christ in the Psalms, we're going to explore a sample from each of the eight different types and discover the genuinely fulfilled promises and hope offered through Christ in those Psalms. So today we're kicking it off with the first type, which is simply called Psalm. It's the biggest category of Psalms. The Hebrew word for Psalm, Mizmor, I don't speak Hebrew, so just go with it. Mizmor means melody. You won't find this word anywhere else in the Bible, only in the title of the Psalms. You will, however, find that a few other Psalm categories that you'll hear are nested underneath the Psalm umbrella, such as the mass skills and songs. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the word Samos was used for Mizmor. Samos means song for the harp, or originally plucking of strings. And there are 57 Psalms in this category. So buckle up. We're going to go for a ride. Really? Come on. It was funny. We're not going to go through all 57, I promise. So we don't have enough time to do that. So I have chosen just a small sampling of them to go through this morning. We're going to look at three that form a trilogy on Christ the Shepherd. So we're going to look at Psalms 22, 23, and 24. And I'm going to be honest, it seems like it's a lot to digest because Scripture is so rich and full, but I'll do my best to break it into smaller pieces. The most important thing to walk away understanding this morning is that Christ suffered on the cross on our behalf. Christ is the good shepherd who we can rely on to steady and guide us, and Christ is sovereign. Before we start looking at these three psalms, it's important to know something about King David. King David probably loved God maybe more than any other person in the Bible, okay? King David is also 
likely the most emotional person in the Bible. You will notice in the Psalms that we look at today, or if you've read Psalms on your own, that they go up and down and up and down throughout, kind of like a yo-yo. David's emotions go up and down. To me, that makes him one of the most relatable people in the Bible, because it reminds me that God can handle us however we come before him. So we're going to first start looking at the words in Psalm 22. I'm not going to read um, this psalm in its entirety. I'm going to just pick and choose some passages to uh, focus on. But if you meet me in Psalm 22, I'll let you know where we are. So the first thing I want to bring your attention to in this psalm is right in verse 1. And it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? David gives an amazingly accurate depiction of the suffering, the suffering that Jesus would endure hundreds of years later. David was obviously enduring some great trial at this time, but through his suffering, he, like Jesus to come, gained victory. Jesus the Messiah said the exact same thing while hanging on the cross carrying our burden of sin in Matthew 27. It was not of cry of doubt. It was an urgent appeal to God. Both David and Jesus referred to God as my God, making it abundantly clear that they still knew, even in the midst of the trial that was present, that he was there and he trusted him. One source said this was not the cry of a complaining servant, but the sob of a broken-hearted child asking, where is my father when I need him? As David prayed for help, he wondered why God didn't answer him. Ever been there? In a situation where you know and trust who God is and who he has been in your life, but wondering why has he suddenly gone radio silent? David knew God was a God of compassion who was concerned about his people and he was a holy God who practiced justice. David had experience with God keeping his covenantal promises to Israel, but why was he so distant now? Maybe as we learned in our Abraham series, God wasn't distant at all. Perhaps he was intentionally silent in order to accomplish his plan and purpose in David and in us the whole time. Even when we cannot see, he's working, right? Next, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. They say this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Verse 6 says, I am a worm and not a man. It's a forgotten statement that speaks of how little value the leaders of Israel and the Roman officials placed on Jesus of Nazareth. A worm is a creature of the ground, helpless, frail, unwanted. David, like Jesus, learned to trust the Lord from infancy. He was not going to relent, 
now. We're going to pick up at verse 12 and read through 18. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a roaring and ravening lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. I want to bring your attention specifically to David's recounting of what can only be described as crucifixion. David describes being stripped of clothing, placed on a cross, nails driven through the hands and feet. And as he hangs between heaven and earth, his body is dehydrated, intense thirst takes over. And it's really very interesting and quite remarkable that David is able to describe crucifixion because it was not a means of capital punishment for the Jewish people. And it is very unlikely that he had ever seen it occur. David, the prophetic psalmist, saw what would happen to the Messiah centuries later, Christ as the sufferer. The last several verses of Psalm 22 shift from suffering to glory, from prayer to praise. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to look at six more verses starting at 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. David's emotions have kind of come full circle at this point within the psalm. And as I said, we're not going to read the entire thing, but it's important to note the comparisons that we've made so far to David's words and Jesus' life continue throughout. Christ is seen as the sufferer for our benefit in Psalm 22. We're going to move on to the second psalm of the trilogy, one of the most well-known psalms, my personal favorite, Psalm 23. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I feel a little bad for Psalm 23, because it is so often associated with death, right? 
I myself have used it at funerals. It is spoken to people who are in their last days. It is very often associated with death. However, there is so much life in it. This is a psalm of the great shepherd who cares for his sheep and equips them for ministry. Hebrews 13 verses 20 through 21 say, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Certainly this psalm has a message for the sorrowing. But Psalm 23 focuses on what Jesus does for us all the days of our life, not just at death. Now, some, when they hear this, they may envision David as a young shepherd lying out in the pasture, maybe thinking of the things of God. But the reality is he, is, he probably wrote this psalm later in his life. This is a psalm with a message written for mature Christians who have fought battles and carried burdens. David helps encourage us as believers with this psalm, that if we follow the Lord and we trust him, he will meet our every need, no matter what the circumstances may be. Looking again at verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The emphasis in these three verses is that Jesus is adequate for every need the sheep may have as they are out in the pasture. Sheep primarily need four things to survive. Food, water, rest, and a shepherd who knows where to lead them. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Similarly, when God's people follow their shepherd, they have all that they need, and they will not lack the necessities of life. Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In verse 4, we recognize a shift in David's words that tells us he is not merely talking about the shepherd. He is talking to the shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David acknowledged that the shepherd is not just before us, but he is beside us in the valley, leading the way and calming our fears and uncertainties. Jesus is a true shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. And I love that reminder that Jesus is with us in the valley, even when we cannot see. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. At the end of a long day, the shepherd would bring the sheep back to the fold where they would eat, and they would look over the sheep to be sure that they were still in good health, and you know nothing had happened throughout the day. There was no bugs or anything that would bother them. And then they would watch over them as they rested at night. 
During the night, it is plausible that dangerous animals or thieves may attempt to enter the fold, but they wouldn't be able to reach the sheep because the shepherd was right there. The Lord doesn't always remove the dangers from our lives, but he does help us to overcome them and not be paralyzed by fear. Paul wrote about this very thing in Romans 8 when he said this in verses 36 through 39. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, in verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. At the end of the day, the shepherd would give thanks that the Lord had blessed them with goodness and mercy. David, looking back over his long life, came to the same conclusion. In spite of his sins and in spite of his failures, David knew that he would be in the house of the Lord forever. For those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus, someday the things of this world that confuse us or grieve our heart, we will be able to look back and see only goodness and mercy because all will be clear when we get to heaven. Finally, under the old covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. Under the new covenant, the shepherd died for the sheep. Christ is seen as the good shepherd in Psalm 23. The last psalm in this trilogy is Psalm 24. Hear these words. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of lords. He is the king of glory. Most commentators that I looked at connected this psalm with David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it does seem likely it may have been written for that occasion. It appears to be an antiphonal psalm, which simply means one that was sung. Some even connect this psalm with Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on what is now known as Palm Sunday. We're going to look a little closer and break it down into three parts. First, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. God created a planet, a people, 
and a land. And there he sent his son to live, to minister, to die, and to be raised from the dead that lost sinners might be saved. The earth is God's. Everything on it and in it is God's. And all the people on earth are God's, made in his image and accountable to him. All the earth is his, but in his goodness and mercy, he shares it with us. Anything we give to him, he gave to us first. First Chronicles 29:14 says, "But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you." Moving on to verses 3 through 6, it says, "Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We are worshipers who experience his grace in redemption. The psalm emphasizes the fact that to worship God means going up higher. God's son sits on the throne in the heavenly Zion, and the mercy seat on the ark was God's throne in the earthly Zion. Having clean hands is not necessarily speaking of being free from dirt, but rather it's speaking of a righteous conduct. A pure heart is one of godly character and motive. The reward for these things is the gift of salvation, the righteousness of God. Now, our good works, motives, character, none of these things can save us. The only thing, the only way we can enter into God's presence is through the merits of Jesus Christ. Because Romans 8.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we must repent of our sins and put our faith in God. Jesus. Only Jesus qualifies to enter the Father's presence. He has gone to heaven to represent those who believe and intercede on their behalf. The final uh, three verses say this, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. When I was reading it this morning, uh, an old third day song came to mind called the king of glory. So if you don't know that, you should look it up. And if you do know it, you're going to be singing it now for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Five times in these verses, God is called the king of glory. Jesus is the king of glory. When he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the whole city did not receive him and praise him. This psalm had been sung that morning at the temple, but it wasn't applied to Jesus of Nazareth. Instead of accepting him and honoring him, the leaders rejected him And sent him on to Golgotha to be crucified. But we know the story doesn't end there. Jesus won the battle against Satan and sin. And when he ascended back to heaven and entered the heavenly Zion, he was received as the victorious Lord of hosts 
and the king of glory. So as children of God, we belong to three worlds, if you will. The world of creation around us, the world of new creation within us, as Paul taught in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when he said, therefore, if anyone is a new Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then finally, the world to come of the wonderful final creation that will be our home for eternity when Jesus returns. And I know that digesting all three of these psalms in one sitting may seem like a lot. It feels like a lot to me too. But it was difficult for me to represent one to you without the other two. So often, we only see one side of Jesus. So perhaps we could have just talked about Jesus as the good shepherd, as in Psalm 23. But without talking about Jesus as the sufferer in Psalm 22, are we able to understand the magnitude of Jesus as the good shepherd? And then we also, in turn, would need wouldn't be able to understand Jesus' sovereignty without looking at Psalm 24, where he is declared declared the king of glory, the one to be praised and adored. They have to work together. So as we go through this series and the words of various psalmists, it is my prayer that you would recognize a few things. The first thing is that even though the words were written long before the time of Jesus, he is ever-present in the Psalms. Secondly, it is my prayer that you will recognize the emotions that are evoked throughout the Psalms. David is famous for being super angry and then asking for help and then praising God and speaking of his goodness and mercy and going back and forth between all of those over and over again. God can handle all that we bring in any order that we bring it at any given moment of any given day. does not have to be pretty, but it should be authentic. David was authentic in his words. God simply wants us to be in his presence and in conversation with him. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you've never even considered having a conversation with God and aren't real sure to start. I'll tell you, the Psalms. Start with the Psalms. They're a great place to start. Pray through them. You can read one and pray through one a day. You can read two or however many you would like. Use them to communicate with God. You don't have to go in order, but you can. And as you become more comfortable being in God's presence, use your own words, even if they are as simple as, Lord, help me today. Or God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you in this. Lord, I praise you. Lord, thank you for the blessings that you have given me. And if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that is a really important place to start. Acknowledging him as the one who paid the price for our sins on that cross so he could become our shepherd and sovereign Savior. If you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you need to be reminded of his role as shepherd in your life, wherever you are. I pray that you are reminded of his role in his presence and that you would be prompted to take whatever it is that should be your next step. Let's pray this morning. 
Father God, I am so grateful for your word. Lord, I'm grateful for uh, the richness of your word, Lord, for all that we can take out of each and every uh, page, Lord, each and every verse, each and every word, Father. Lord, would you use this series this summer to stir in us, to speak to us through the words of the psalmist. Lord, help us to uh, use that to communicate with you in a more uh, comfortable way, Lord. Help us to uh, be comfortable in your presence, Lord. And as we become more familiar with the Psalms, Lord, would we uh, give us the comfort and the courage to branch out and to use our own words to communicate with you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our behalf, Lord. Lord, I thank you that he is our good shepherd that can be our steady and rely on. Lord, thank you that he is sovereign and savior. Lord, we give you all the thanks and the praise.